0: Steve, you got something a little wrong. You said the best group was at the McCartney House, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Best groups at the McCarty House, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Out in Brandon, not in Jackson. So if you're looking for really the best group, I don't know what we're eating, but we know it's dinner, so we probably won't be having breakfast, right? You can come and join us at the the McCarty House. There's a bunch of great groups. We want you to get involved in one. We believe that life in the Christian life happens best in community. And there's, there's a certain beauty to this community here, but the community you got on, on a Sunday morning, is it's a, it's a handshake, it's a high five, it's a quick hug, and then it's a go on. It's how was your week, my week was good, it's good to see you. It's all the pleasantries, but when you really get to dig into each other's lives, it's in a group. When you get to dig into God's word together, it's in a group. So grab that red card if you don't have a group already. Check down that you want to be involved in the founder group. We'll get you more info on those later today or tomorrow. All right, we're in Acts 2. We're celebrating Pentecost. You might be walking in saying, I don't know what in the world Pentecost is. So to help you out, I want to give you a little backstory. Um, Today, I'm gonna go see, this afternoon, I'm gonna go see my first ever IMAX experience. That makes me sound old, doesn't it? I've never been to an IMAX movie. How long has IMAX been around? A long time, I've never been to one. And so I'm going to my first one, I'm going to see Top Gun Maverick, which I've heard is just amazing, right? It's just awesome. Everybody's seen it, it's it's just gonna blow your mind. It's Tom Cruise. So last night I watched the original Top Gun, which I had seen before, I thought, but I didn't realize, those of you who've seen this, the movie will know, there's a main character who dies. I didn't remember that. And then in the end, Tom Cruise, hate to, hate to spoil it for you, actually blows up some enemy, enemy planes. I didn't know that happened. So I'm wondering now, whether I just have like early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 29, or if I probably never watched it. And so it was good to go back and refresh. Cause I, how can you watch the sequel without watching the original, right? And, and so, much, so many times in life, you go into a movie and you're with someone who hasn't seen the movie to set this up. And you know how annoying it is to have that person be like, hey, who's that? Who's that guy? You're like, who is that guy? That's Thanos. He's been teased for like six Marvel movies before we got to this point, right? Who is that? That's Sauron. He's the bad guy in Lord of the Rings. Like, who is that? That's Spider-Man. Like, how do you not know who Spider-Man is, you idiot, right? So you have that friend. What's even worse, though, I think, is having the friend who's seen the movies, they've read the background, they've read all the the nerd fan fiction about this, they spend all their time watching YouTube videos breaking down the movies, and they want to tell you who that person is who's the guy in the background wearing the bull head. You're like, I don't care who that is in the back, I don't care about any of this, but they have to tell you because they're a nerd. So here's what you need to have. You need to have friends who aren't nerds and friends who've seen the prequel, who've seen the the movie before. Because if you haven't seen the movie before, if you don't know what's going on, you can't really track with what's happening with what you're watching. So here's here's a couple things I learned from Top Gun. One is a main character dies. That's important. Uh, The other one is that um, Tom Cruise blows up some bad guys. I assume that's going to be important in this one. The other thing I learned is that Tom Cruise looks better now in the 60s than he did 36 years ago. Like, give me some of what that man has. If it's just millions of dollars, give me some of that. Or if it's plastic surgery, I'll take some of that. That man looks better in his 60s than he did in his 20s. How does that work? Like, let's, let's do some, let's figure that out as a church. We're gonna, we're gonna do that as a church. We're gonna do whatever he's doing. Uh, I wanna talk about the background to Pentecost. You might be walking in today and you hear the term Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday, and you're like, eh, it sounds weird. What, what is this thing? Is this when we pull off the snakes? Is this snake Sunday? We start handling snakes. Uh, Pentecost Sunday is one of really the big three celebrations that the church has had throughout its history. So one of the big celebrations, you know, is Christmas. When we celebrate how Jesus has come, he was born, God became human. We celebrate that. Easter is another one of the big celebrations of the church when we celebrate the fact that Jesus died and then he was in the tomb for three days and he rose again physically from the dead in his resurrected body, overcoming death and sin and the power of Satan. Now, most people who go to church are aware of Christmas and Easter, but today is Pentecost, which is the culmination of the work of Jesus that too often we overlook. So I'm gonna give you the background of Pentecost. Pentecost is actually a Jewish festival. The Jews had three festivals that were set up by God in the Old Testament that they celebrated. One of them was Passover, that was was about 50 days ago, right around the time of Easter. And then the second one is Pentecost, which they would celebrate. Lots of Jewish people would come to Jerusalem the capital of Israel, and they would celebrate this together. Pentecost wasn't just a festival, though, to celebrate the harvest, which it was. They also remembered how God gave his law on Mount Sinai. So God gave his law to his people. He says, I want you to follow this, the whole Ten Commandments thing. And the rest, he had 613 laws he wanted his people to follow. And he gave all of those to his people. So at the celebration of Pentecost, they would remember how God gave us his law, which was a good thing. God gave us his instruction and told us how to live and they would celebrate that. Now, what's interesting, if you follow the people of Israel and their story in the Old Testament, they had the law of God, they knew what God wanted, but they kept on not following it and not obeying him over and over again. In fact, at one point in the prophet Isaiah chapter 43, God says, look, all these false gods have their witnesses, but you Israel, you are my witnesses to prove to everybody around you that I am real. Did they do that? No, over and over again, they kept not following God. So that's the background when we get to today, when we celebrate Pentecost, we're not just celebrating the giving of the law in the Old Testament. We're actually celebrating something far deeper that God has done. Because Jesus called his followers, he said, and we've already been over this two weeks ago, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, you will be my witnesses. Remember, God said that to his people in the Old Testament. Jesus is now saying to his followers, you are my witnesses. You're the ones who are gonna show to the world around me that I am who I say I am, I'm God. But you know who he's saying that to, right? This is the the biggest bunch of screwballs in the world. This is, a, this is a dozen of them, only 11 of them, because one of them was so bad that he actually betrayed Jesus. That's how. That's the kind of followers that Jesus picked, right? One of them betrayed him to be killed. The other ones just kept messing up. And when Jesus was in his moment of biggest need, they fled from him. Peter, who was kind of the, the biggest uh, egghead of them all, he actually denied Jesus three times that he was a follower of Jesus. And Jesus looks at this group of people who messed up and says, you're my witnesses. Kind of like he looks at us today. Unimpressive, normal people. He says, you foundry you are my witnesses and we on our own have the same issue the apostles had on their own which is a credibility issue they weren't credible witnesses like they're people that that had betrayed jesus they'd run away from jesus they hadn't obeyed jesus that's the kind of people jesus picked to be his witnesses it was the same problem in the old testament i thankfully i've never been in a in a trial in court i've never had to testify i've never been a defendant I've never gone after somebody, but don't cross me because I will, I'll come after you. <laughs> but I've never had to do it. Uh, but I, I did mock trial back in the day. I don't know if you know what mock trial is. You get a, a fake case and you have, and it's, it's all high schoolers doing it. I was like 13 when I, 13 or 14 when I did it. I was a lawyer. Like what a train wreck. I put a 13 year old as a lawyer. And so you'd have to give an opening statement and you'd have to cross examine. And you had witnesses who were people on your team and they were acting. And there's a whole other team with lawyers and actors. And so we did it. And our very second case we had, it was, it was down at the Hines County Courthouse. It was like in a real courtroom. And we're going against, uh, well, I'm not gonna tell you, it was one of those uppity, uppity, uppity private schools around here. I'm not gonna tell you which one, but you probably know which one I'm talking about. I'm not gonna say it, but there's Jackson Prep, but I'm not gonna say which one it was. It was just one of those, one of those schools, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we have some alumni from Jackson Prep here. Love you, you uppity people, right? And so we were going against them. We were a motley crew. Of people from different school. We had public school, non-uppity private school, homeschool. It was a it was a David versus Goliath kind of thing. They could have made an inspirational Disney movie about us, except we lost, but they could have done it like we had all the things. We had the dumb blonde who we were trying to work with. We had the guy who was gonna become a lawyer someday. You had the 13-year-old Elijah who didn't know what he was doing. It was perfect. It was like made for made for a movie, except we lost. We we ruined the whole movie thing. But we go up against this this private school, I won't name. And we're going up against them. And uh, one of the things, I, I had a responsibility, because uh, I had a, I had this, this on the other team, this witness who was an actor, and I had to cross-examine her. And when she was being examined by her lawyer, I had to stand up if she did something wrong or something happened wrong, and I had to object. You know, the whole stand up and say, objection, your honor. You know, here's, and I'm a 13-year-old. Objection, your honor. I hadn't quite hit puberty yet. Objection, you know, I, I disagree. So I don't really know what I'm doing, but i learned something. The, the <laughs> lawyer who was coaching us had taught me something. He had taught me that if the witness says something that they shouldn't, that they don't know, because she's not an expert, so she shouldn't know certain things, then I should stand up and object that she was not an expert and she couldn't talk about that. So I could understand that as a 13 year old. So she says something, she's talking about my client, Elston Nettie was his name. And she, she, she said that he appeared like he was drunk. And I just, I was offended <laughs> about this fake actor that was my client. And so I stood up and I said, objection, your honor. And then I realized I was supposed to say something next, because he's just staring at me like, why are you objecting? And I said, your honor, she's not an expert. And then I thought, oh no, what's she not an expert in? But she said he was drunk. And so I said, your honor, she's not an expert in in being drunk. (laughs) And he looks at me over his glasses like you were the biggest idiot. What are you doing? And he said, overruled, sit down. And I remember the girl who was the actor, who was the witness, she just smirked at me. And I thought, oh, you, whoa. And I had to sit down and she suddenly became a credible witness. And we lost that case because I couldn't make her seem like she wasn't a credible witness. In our lives, we pay attention to people who seem credible, who seem like they know what they're talking about, who seem like they have a reason to say what they're saying. But the challenge for a lot of us, when Jesus says, you be my witnesses, is that we're not credible. Our lives aren't credible. What we do in private isn't credible to what we're saying in public. We don't have a power behind what we're saying that matches the power of the problems people are dealing with. We, on our own, are not credible witnesses. But thanks be to Jesus that he doesn't leave us on our own. On the day of Pentecost, we remember, we're about to read about it, how the Holy Spirit came down. And the Holy Spirit at work in your life can take you, an average person who's gonna mess it up and turn you into someone who can bear witness to who Jesus is and do it in a way that's credible. Well, people look at you and you say, Jesus is God. And they say, yeah, I see your life and I believe it. So I wanna look at Acts 2 from, from the perspective today of what does it look like to be a credible witness, to be someone people can trust when we speak about Jesus. So here we go, Acts chapter 2, verse one, this is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. These would be the followers of Jesus. There are about 120 of them, we're told in Acts chapter one. Verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then Luke, who's writing this list off where they're from, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And they all said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They're experts in being drunk. They said they've had too much wine. And they try to impeach their credibility, but here's here's what they failed to recognize. When the Holy Spirit came, it it, it brings a couple things together. This is on the day of Pentecost, when the Jewish people remember that the, the law was given to them. They received the law, these external commands from God that they should do. So I want you to hold that. First of all, it's it's on Pentecost. The second thing is that there was this sound, like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven, it says, and filled the whole house. There wasn't a wind itself, but it was a sound, this massive, powerful sound. And then it says that, that what seemed like fire came and separated, and then a little bit of fire was over each person's head. This is when it's okay to look at the Bible and say, this is weird. If this were to happen right now, it would be weird but it's okay to recognize it's weird, but it's also God teaching us something. The reason it was was like a wind and like fires because when God appeared on Mount Sinai, when he gave the law to Moses, he showed up and there was wind and there was fire, but the people stayed at a distance. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he is no longer God at a distance, he is God within us. The fire didn't stay at a distance on a mountain, the fire came down over each person. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he comes to us personally and he fills us individually. The Holy Spirit doesn't just fill groups or doesn't just come to the the man of God on a mountain somewhere. He comes to each one of us. He comes down and this is what we're told throughout the Bible. It's not fully explained here, but in other parts of the Bible, it's explained that the Holy Spirit takes God's law that is external and he puts it on our hearts. He takes what is external and he puts it on our hearts. What does it mean to be a credible witness? It means that you are transformed by the Holy Spirit. So suddenly what you talk about is what becomes who you are. What you read in the Bible is what you live out. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit at work in our lives makes us credible witnesses. Think about Peter. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus says, be my witness, and goes back up to be with the Father. If the Holy Spirit Spirit hadn't come, you know what Peter would have become? he would have become Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Now, for those of you who haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite, you've missed out on maybe the greatest cinematic experience of your life. Uncle Rico is a would-be football player who could have made it big and just didn't quite get the opportunity. I can imagine Peter going back to Galilee where he was from and he's like, I could have, I could have been a witness. You know, he walked on water with Jesus. And I can imagine him going to the Sea of Galilee, you know, early in the morning when no one's around and just testing it out. He's like, man, can I just walk on water one more time? He's telling stories to his grandkids. You won't believe the miracles Jesus did. He fed 5,000 people, but he would have been his normal self. But when the Holy Spirit comes suddenly, when the Holy Spirit transforms him he gives him a new, new life, new identity. He transforms his character. Where he was fearful before, he suddenly becomes bold. The Holy Spirit brings his fruit into Peter's life. Peter wasn't a good leader before, but the Holy Spirit gives him a spiritual gift of leadership. The Holy Spirit comes into his life and transforms him. If you are going to be a credible witness for Jesus, you have to be transformed by the Spirit. There's a book called Rassilus, Prince of Abyssinia. It's written by a guy named Samuel Johnson. And he tells a story of Rassilus who grows up in this place called the Happy Valley. In the Happy Valley, his life's perfect. He's gonna become king someday. He's a prince, but he's kept in this valley. And he realizes there must be more to life. So he goes on this search for what is the deeper thing in life. This whole book is based off the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. He's on the, on the search for what's more in life. And here's this teacher one day. And this teacher says, you need to go out and just, just put all the human things below you. You shouldn't be swayed by how you feel and by emotions. You should live on a different level. You should be enlightened. You should live like the angels do. And Rassilus hears this and he thinks, that's the life I want. And so he goes to meet this teacher personally and hear from him. And he knocks on the guy's door and there's no answer. And he opens the door and he finds this teacher in there who said, live above your emotions. Don't be dragged down by the things of this world. And the teacher is weeping over the loss of his son. And he realized that he preached these things about living above your emotions and living this different level, but he still experienced it like everybody else. And there's a quote in the book that stuck with me. I read this book for the first time 12 years ago. And this, this quote has stuck with me. The quote is, beware of teachers of morality. They speak like angels, but they live like men. And I think every single one of us without the power of God in our lives is at danger of speaking like angels and living at the lowest levels of what we are. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, though, he empowers us, he enables us. What does it mean to be a credible witness? It means that you are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens to the apostles here. And you see it played out through the rest of the book of Acts. They are transformed from the core of who they are. You, if you haven't been, need to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's the second thing we see that credible witnesses have. Credible witnesses have lives that are empowered by the spirit. You might notice that weird thing we read about how they started speaking other languages. That's a little weird, right? And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he empowers us in ways that are supernatural. He also empowers us in ways that are natural and he heightens those capacities and abilities. So here you have these disciples all from this same place in Galilee. Galilee was seen as kind of the, the hillbilly part of, of Israel. It was up north. Don't you like that? The northerners are suddenly the hillbillies now. That's how it should be. Not the southerners who are the hillbillies. It's the, the Yankees who are the hillbillies. And so the people from Galilee were the hillbillies and they were around and they spoke with a bit of an accent. They couldn't speak proper Hebrew. And so everyone knew when you started speaking, they knew you're, yeah, you're from Galilee. I hear it. I, I can hear that. And suddenly these Galileans start speaking all these other languages. We read the list. People from Parthia, and, and Mead, these were places far east. This is where Iran and modern day Iraq are. All the way across, all the way down to Egypt, all the way up into where modern day Turkey is, all the way over to Rome. All these people who spoke different languages were there in Jerusalem and suddenly they could hear their own languages being spoken to them. If this sounds unlikely or unusual, it's because it is. This is the Holy Spirit at work. He is empowering them. This is what you should expect as someone who is filled with the spirit is if you're going to be a credible witness, you should be empowered by the spirit. There should be a different kind of power at work in you that gives you supernatural abilities. This whole thing is speaking in tongues. We're going to get more into it, by the way, because, because this, is a, this is something a lot of people have questions about. And we're going to, as you go through Acts, it shows up other places. Um, but here, what's clear in Acts 2 is it's known languages. So in Acts 2, it's them speaking languages that people can hear that are actually known languages. And this is, again, a weird thing, but I had a a professor in college who served in the Air Force, and at one point he was stationed over in Sweden. And when he was in Sweden, he used to ride the bus every day, and there was this African immigrant who would always be on the same bus, and he would see them, and they they couldn't communicate, or they never tried to communicate, thought we speak different languages, I'm an American, you're from Africa, neither of us really speak Swedish, and so they keep riding this bus every day. Until one day they start talking. And that day my, my professor actually leads this guy to the Lord, tells him about Jesus, hears about his life, leads him to the Lord. And this guy becomes a Christian. Like what a cool experience. The next day they get on the bus and my, my professor goes to talk with him. He says, man, you know, how's, how's your faith doing? Are, are you just living this new life now? And the guy can't understand him at all. And what had happened the day before is my professor thought they were speaking English. And this guy thought they were speaking his language and neither one of them could actually communicate with each other. So they go and eventually they figure out what had happened. They they both know a little bit of Swedish. They start talking back and forth and realize, oh, we both thought the other person was speaking our language. The Holy Spirit did something supernatural in that moment, gave them the power, the capacity to speak other languages so that this man could become a follower of Jesus. This is still a reality in our lives. The same power is at work in your life. When you step into a conversation with someone who is not a Christian to tell them about the gospel, that same power is available to you. You may not start speaking another language, but the Holy Spirit can empower that interaction, can give you a supernatural or heighten your natural gift to where you can communicate. And that gives you credibility. My professor had credibility with this man because he could speak this man's language. My professor didn't know he could, thought he was just speaking English, but he could communicate to this man. Same thing happens here. In fact, uh, Peter goes on. If you pick it up in verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11 after they have been made fun of because they think they're drunk. And he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. And I love his rationale. It's not that we can walk the straight line or anything else. It's only nine in the morning, right? It's like, we, we didn't have time to get drunk yet. It's only nine in the morning. And then he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel lived hundreds of years before. And you can go back and read his prophecies in the biblical book of Joel. And this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This prophecy given hundreds of years before, Peter says this is fulfilled right now. And what does the prophecy say? It says, the Holy Spirit will come on all people. Anyone who makes themselves available by repenting and putting their trust in Jesus can receive the Holy Spirit on all. And then he goes down, he says, look, it's not just, it's not just for men. Your sons and your daughters are gonna prophesy. It's not just for the young though. Your old men will see visions. Your young men will dream dreams. It's not just for the people who are well-to-do and higher up in society. Your servants, both men and women, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on them. God says, I'm gonna show these wonders. He talks about the the sun being turned to darkness and the moon to blood. This is either a reference to what happened when Jesus died, when there was this eclipse or the, the sun went away, this darkness came over the land, or this is a reference to what will happen at the end of time when Jesus returns. This will happen as well. But right now, what we learn from this is two things. One, we are living in the last days. So as soon as Jesus rose to be with the Father, we're living in the last days. And the Holy Spirit is available to us, not just to transform us, but to empower us, to help us to prophesy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is speaking the words of God to people so they can understand the will of God for their lives. Peter says, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is gonna happen. He says, "There's gonna be dreams and visions. As you go through the book of Acts, you see dreams and visions all over the place. What this means is you should be having dreams and visions that God is giving to you. You should be able to prophesy to people because the Holy Spirit is with you. You have been empowered to be a credible witness. So you're not just transformed by the Spirit, you are empowered by the Spirit with these gifts. If you're weirded out and this doesn't fit with your theology, then just throw your theology out and believe the Bible. Because the Bible's clear about this. I don't know, like a lot of y'all maybe don't know me that well on like personally and day-to-day, but like I'm not going around like declaring, pro- I'm not like wearing, I don't like change into a robe for the rest of the week and put an actual beard on and then like proclaim prophecies to people. I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not like every night just having dreams of like, oh, that's what that person did this past weekend. Okay, I'm going to get them. Like I'm not having, but, but the Holy Spirit brings this stuff into our lives as we're empowered by him. It's what the Bible says. And if we're not experiencing it, we should be seeking the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is the third thing we see about credible witnesses. Credible witnesses are focused on Jesus. This is what, as soon as he gets done with the prophecy, he says, this is what's going on. What Peter begins to do next for most of this chapter is tell people about Jesus. Credible witnesses are focused on Jesus. Why? Because witnesses don't have to create the truth. Witnesses just point to the truth. Witnesses don't don't have to have all the answers. They just tell what they've seen and what they know. Peter says, look, this man, this Jesus of Nazareth did miracles and signs. And part of God's plan, he was then handed over to wicked men and put to death, but God raised him from the dead. And then he points back to the Old Testament and says, and this was prophesied. And he tells you, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He has poured out now the Holy Spirit on all people. And he says that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. He has one message and it's a one word message. The message is Jesus. When you are a credible witness, you're not going to get distracted by issues and other things that are not of Jesus. Credible witnesses are not just empowered by the Spirit and not just transformed by the Spirit. We are focused on Jesus. That's why our mission here at Foundry is to lead people to live in love like Jesus. The focus has always gotta be on Jesus. I don't know if some of you are gamers. I know that because of the age that we have in this church. And used to, it was just guys who were gamers. Now it's ladies as well. And used to, it was just young people who were gamers, but now the young people become older people. So now it's like, everybody's a gamer. In fact, if we were to go around and just Here, who all in here, like in this room, spend a lot of time playing games? It'd be a lot of us. So I can make this reference. What you need to be for the gospel is an NPC. (laughs) Uh, for, For those of you who are like me and don't play video games, a non player character. The NPCs are the guys in the background. Typically, they have just one or two lines that they keep saying. You walk up to them and you're like, hello, good villager, how are you today? Or whatever, you know? And they say like, top of the morning to you, I'm about to go fishing or whatever it is, right? And they'll have like their one line. They need to tell you one piece of information to help you on your mission. You're like, where is the crucible of St. Galadrix? I don't know what game, I don't know. I don't play video games, right? Whatever it is. That's not really from a video game, is it? I don't think so. And you ask them for the one piece of information and they have the one piece you need. They're like, go due north or whatever they say. You can tell I'm, I'm, I'm not a gamer at all, am I? <laughs> they have the one piece of information you need to get where you need to go. In life, you're, you're unique and you're beautiful and you're wonderful and no one's like you and you're an NPC. <laughs> you're just the person who needs to communicate that Jesus is the solution to what that person's going through. And you may use different language to do it. You may not always say it exactly like the next person will, but you are there to put the focus on Jesus. You're there when the person comes because you've been transformed, you've been empowered, and now you need to stay focused on Jesus. Jesus is the answer and keep telling people that. And they're gonna get tired of hearing it. They're gonna be like, yeah, okay, I've heard about Jesus, but like, what else should I be looking at? You're like, no, I'm pretty sure Jesus is the person you should be looking at. What I love about this is the disciples, like all of Israel before them, were terrible witnesses until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit makes them credible witnesses by transforming them by the power of the Spirit, by empowering them by the power of the Spirit, and by helping them stay focused on Jesus. What happens with all that? Verse 37. When the people heard all this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, What shall we do? When you are transformed, empowered, and focused, when you're a credible witness, people are gonna hear you talking, they're gonna see your life, they're gonna see the power of God at work in you, and they're gonna say, what's the next step? What do we need to do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save, themselves, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The day started off, there were 120 followers of Jesus. By the end of it, there were... 3,120 followers of Jesus. How did this happen? The Holy Spirit came down. He transformed the lives of these men and women. He empowered the lives of these men and women. And he helped them to stay focused on Jesus. Do you believe that's possible today? The Lord has, has laid it so deeply so deeply on my heart that right now we need to be in the book of Acts as a church because Jesus wants credible witnesses in this world. I I look around at our world right now. I was reading an article this morning, pastor of a big church in Florida. And he's just gotten kicked out of his church for mismanaging finances and they're fighting right now and going back and forth and there's lawsuits flying back and forth. And my heart broke because that's what the world sees when they see the church. What what the the world sees when they see the church is people who say, I love Jesus. And then they turn around and they're stabbing each other in the back at work on Monday morning. They're cutting people down. They're mistreating people and dishonoring people. The world sees people who say, praise Jesus. He has changed my life. And then they go out and they are racist to their core. And they think now, they're not pointing to anything true or real. I don't want anything, any part of that. The world looks at Christians and they don't see credible witnesses. But I believe that when people do, when they encounter a Christian who is a credible witness, who is transformed by the spirit and empowered by the spirit and focused on Jesus, people ask, brothers, what should we do? How do we get to participate in that? And I just have this, this this deep desire that I believe is from the Lord for us at Foundry to be that kind of church where we're credible, not incredible, you're average, but we're credible, we're believable and trusted that what we say is what we live and what we point to is not our own accomplishments, our own lives, it's Jesus who gives everything value and worth. And so I want us today as we finish up just to imagine what Jesus could do through your life if you were to just fully give the Spirit access to your life to transform every part of you, to empower you, and then to keep you focused on Jesus. Just imagine. Imagine the impact of your life in the next three weeks, six months, two years, 50 years of your life. Imagine all the people you could influence, the people who are gonna see you and be transformed because of you. Imagine as a church, it's no accident, I don't think, that we have about 120 people gathered in this building this morning. We've had 120 people just like the early church on the day of Pentecost had. If we give the spirit access to our lives, let him unleash his power and his transforming and unleash his Jesus-focused reality in our lives, what can Jesus do with us? On that day, their church I don't even know how to say this. It it grew by 25 times. So 25 tupled in size, however you say that. It just massively exploded. The same Spirit's at work in our lives today. The same Spirit is at work in your life today. And here's the only question we have to ask ourselves to become credible witnesses who are transformed, empowered, and focused on Jesus. Are you giving the Holy Spirit room in your life to do all these things? This week, I, I took a bit of a personal retreat. I don't like retreats, I think they're dumb. So I took one. (laughs) I went out Monday afternoon till Friday morning, left my phone and computer behind. I interacted with no human being during that time. Literally the longest time in my life I've gone without interacting with another human. It was terrible. I also didn't allow myself to be productive during this time. It was terrible. All I did was sit and sleep and walk. And that was my three and a half days. It was miserable. But what it did is created space in my life for God to speak to me in a different kind of way. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to be unleashed in your life. He wants to empower you, maybe with tongues. Maybe he wants you to to speak a different language to that person across from you who doesn't speak English. But maybe he wants to empower you with a supernatural love. So when you were wronged this week, when you were hurt this week, you overflow with love and reach someone that way. Maybe he wants to empower you by by giving you an insider understanding into someone about where they're hurting so you can provide love and encouragement to them. The Holy Spirit wants to be unleashed in your life to transform and empower. Here's my question. Will you let him? The same thing that happened at Pentecost can happen today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we as a church can be credible witnesses, but will we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives? Let's pray together.